This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Christmas time, uh, churches, churches that believe in the historic Christian faith, they emphasize the fact that Jesus Christ is God and man. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus Christ was truly human. He was fully human, and yet he was God. He shared in our humanity. That's what this text is about, and that teaches us three things. One, that God has a deep concern for those who are physically broken, that God has a deep concern for those who are emotionally broken, and that God has a deep concern for those who are relationally broken. God is concerned for those who are physically, emotionally, and relationally broken. First, God is a concern for those who are physically broken. If you look at verse 14, it says that Jesus came to share in our humanity so that death would be destroyed. In other words, our sin is so corrosive from the inside out, so corrosive, that that corrosion, that that disintegration, it bursts us into an eternal corrosion, an eternal disintegration. That's what death is. That's what death represents. And so that problem of death is inescapable. So when the author says that Jesus shared in our humanity, he's saying that we couldn't make a way to be rescued from death, so God had to make a way. God had to make a way to rescue us. It means that God is upset about death. God is upset about death and its power over us. In other words, God is concerned about our physical lives. He's concerned about the physical world. He's concerned about the things that destroy our bodies, the things that we do that destroy our bodies. This is radical about Christmas. This is absolutely radical about Christianity. No other religion says this. If you look at creation, go all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. In the beginning, you have God. God is what? He's a creator. His hands are actually in the dirt. They're in the dust. He's shaping and he's forming and he's breathing life into these things and he's perfecting what? He creates man. He says, let us make man in our image. It's because he's integrated with us. It's because he's intimate with us and because he's intimate with us, God desires, it's his hands in the dirt. It's his breath. There's an integration between us and God. And so creation is what? Heaven reconciled, heaven united with earth, heaven integrated with earth. In Genesis, he says, let's make man in our image, God's image. Remember, salvation from an Eastern worldview, an Eastern philosophical religious worldview is what? Salvation is not becoming more material. It's becoming less material, becoming more spiritual, being at one with spirituality. Because Eastern religions, Eastern traditions, Eastern faiths don't believe that the material world is real. The Western philosophers thought the opposite. Western world, Western thinkers, they want to get away from what is material. 
When we go on vacation, we say, I want what is rustic. I want to get away from technology. I want to get away from all these things. We want to get away from the material, connect with the spiritual, escape the wealth, escape the technology, because the material world is bad. We feel guilty about these things. Western philosophers want to get away from all these things so that we would become more spiritual. But here's God in Genesis. He's in the dirt. He's creating. He's he's breathing life into the dust. That's what he's doing. We see God in the book of Genesis. He's walking in the cool of the day. He's walking. What's the incarnation? What's the birth of Jesus? What's Christmas? When God saw that this physical world was broken, he came into it. He came down. He he entered it. He became it. He shared in our humanity. And so, you see Jesus, he gets hungry. You see Jesus, he gets tired. Jesus hurts. Jesus bleeds. Jesus Christ dies. And when he rose again, what do you see? Jesus has a body. It's not when he reaches the apex, the glory of his life. He doesn't become more spiritual. To become more spiritual is to become even more material. He has a glorified body. His body is renewed. But look what he tells Thomas. He has a body. He says, touch me. On one hand, you see the glorified Jesus, but he says, Thomas, touch me. Touch me and see. He says, do you have anything to eat? That's what he says at the resurrection. And he eats fish. What does that mean? At the end, in glory, you're not going to become less material to become more spiritual. You're going to become even more physical. You're going to become even more material. You're going to have renewed bodies. Jesus Christ entering the earth means that we, in our spiritual, in becoming more spiritual, will become even more material. We'll become perfect material. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. We'll have renewed bodies. One day you're going to have bodies that are going to be, that are going to function the way they were designed to function. One day you're going to have bodies that are going to look the way they were designed to look. They're going to act the way they're designed to act. They're going to do what they're designed to do. We're going to eat. We're going to drink in the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn things in the kingdom of God. We're going to embrace one another because we're going to have bodies. We're going to love one another. We're going to have bodies, you see. We're going to create things. We're going to be builders in heaven. That's why heaven, the new Jerusalem, is a city. It's not a garden. It's not a return to the garden. It's a city. It becomes more and more material, you see. We're going to write songs. Some of you aren't songwriters. We're going to write songs. We're going to sing songs, you see. But you're going to do these things in ways that you've never done before, beyond ways that you could ever fathom today. And that means that if God gets his hands dirty, that means if God gets his hands in the dirt, we should get our hands in the dirt. Christians get engaged. Christians get involved. Christians walk in the city. Christians enter in. God himself went through great lengths to deal with our hurt, our pain, our brokenness, our disease, our death. Anything that's hurting creation, God got involved. That Christians can't be disengaged with poverty. We can't be passive about sickness. We can't be passive about injustice. There is no single group in the world that can talk about the salvation of our souls on one hand and the current social brokenness on the other than Christians. There's no other group in the world than the church. No other group can reconcile what it means to have salvation and rescue and yet address the brokenness and the social injustices in the world. 
No other group can talk about heaven while addressing the pains that are here, that are real, the pains of our city, the hurts of our city like a Christian. You have a quote that's printed in your bulletin, uh, written actually by an archbishop, who says that Christians, Christianity is the most materialistic of faiths. What he means by that is that no other group can on one hand look like their heads are in the clouds and yet be more involved because of what they're founded on. No other group than Christians. So don't, you're in it. You're in the city. You're, when you embrace the city, you know what that means? You're in it. You're working in it. Don't be immune to the brokenness of the city. Don't judge the city because of its brokenness. Don't just pray for the city because of its brokenness. Christians enter in because God himself entered into our brokenness. That's Christmas. That's the meaning of Christmas because Christmas is God entering in, sharing in our humanity, engaging our brokenness to rescue us. The second thing this teaches us is that God has a concern for those who are emotionally broken. This passage says, he too shared in our humanity. Why? Verse 14, I'm going to show you four very quick things here. One, that he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Verse 15, this is the second thing, he might free those who are held in slavery in fear of death. So that he might destroy the power of death, that he might free us who are in slavery because of our fear of death. Verse 17, he was made like his brothers in every way. Three, in order that we might become, that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest. And then you have verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. The fourth thing we see is that he's able to help those who are being tempted. He might destroy the power of death. He might free us who are in fear of death, that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest, and that he might be able to help us when we're being tempted. When we see that, I'm going to break this down briefly. He destroyed the power of death and freed us from our fear of death. What does that mean? Imagine this. There's a dictator in a foreign country, and he rules how? With power. And he rules ruthlessly. And his people are just living, they're cowering in fear. They're, they're watchful of everything they say and everything they do. They're just watchful and they're, all, they're constantly living in fear. It's just become a state of that culture. And this has progressed on for generations and generations and generations. So there's just a cloud of despair over this country. And now imagine that that dictator has been removed. The people see it. This dictator has been removed. He is fleeing. They caught him, and in front of the people, they executed him so that there's no doubt that this dictator has been removed. The people witnessed it. Now you have these bombings. You have the rubble. You have all these buildings that have been destroyed. The city is just in shambles. The country is in shambles. There are still little skirmishes. There are insurrections. There are, there are little uprisings because these are people part of the old regime and there are, there's uprisings and there's havoc throughout the city. But when you ask one of those citizens how you feel, they'll tell you that they are no longer in fear. There's no more fear. They say, yeah, it's messy. Yeah, there's rubble. Yes, there's skirmishes because these people, they don't get the message. They haven't gotten the message yet, but this tyrant is dead. I've seen him rule for generations, and now he's dead. There is no more power. We're free. That's a real story. I have a friend who's actually a captain, who was a captain in the Marines, and that's what he heard from the people as he was running through the city. Some of the parts where there was, the fighting was fiercest. He ran in and just taking a routine cab ride, 
talking to the cab driver, they said, yeah, the city's broken, but we're free, aren't we? We're free. There's no more fear. The same way that we've destroyed the tyrant, so to speak, when you imagine that tyrant destroyed, and the tyrant has no more power, there's no more fear, the Hebrews author is saying that now there's no fear in death because no matter what they do, whether you get beat, whether you are hurt, whether, remember, this Hebrews was written to encourage people who have been dispossessed in a way. These people have been persecuted because of their faiths, because of their beliefs. And, and as a result, they've been disfranchised on one hand or really deeply, even physically persecuted. And so they're living in discouragement. They're living in fear. Here's the author pastorally counseling these people and counseling us in our anxieties, in our fear, in our suffering. This is a book that teaches us how to deal with suffering. He says there's no fear in death because now whether you get beat or hurt or killed or persecuted, disfranchised, they will only restore you. Death will only complete you. Because Jesus was made like his brothers in every way, because he was fully human, because he suffered, because he experienced everything we've experienced. You know what that means? For example, there's no one who understands what it's like to be broke more than Jesus. Jesus was penniless. When Jesus Christ was born, that's Christmas. He was born with nothing. No one took him in. No one let him in. There was no room for him. He was born in a manger. That's why he was born in a manger. No one understands betrayal like Jesus. No one understands the isolation, the loneliness, the helplessness, the bitterness, the pain of betrayal. No one understands that like Jesus. No one understands abandonment like Jesus. No one understands the rejection of abandonment, the pain of abandonment, the, the isolation of abandonment, the grief, the loneliness of abandonment. If you've been unjustly accused, nobody understands what it's like to be wrongly accused more than Jesus. Jesus Christ was accused. Jesus Christ was tried. He was found guilty. All the while, he was innocent. No one understands that more than Jesus. Christmas means that the most perfect person in the world, the most powerful person in the world, the most wise person in history, in world history, didn't come like Superman. He came like Clark Kent. Jesus Christ came into the world crying. Jesus Christ came into the world weeping over his friend's death, wept over Jerusalem, and at the thought of his own death, he was suffering, sweat poured from him like blood. You know what that means? Jesus Christ throughout, he never looked like those Renaissance paintings, the Renaissance depictions of him, because he wasn't like that. He relates with us. He relates with your tears. If you've cried at all this year, Jesus relates with that. No one understands those tears more than Christ. He relates with your anger. Even this morning, if you've been angry, no one understands that. In that particular situation, no one would understand that more than Jesus. He understands what it means to pray. This is huge. You know what that means? Christmas tells us because God came down, because he was vulnerable, he was not like the man of steel. The word became flesh, it says. He became flesh. That means you can go to him. You want an application for this? It means you can go to him. Because he, is, he resides with us, you can go to him. Verse 17 says, he is the merciful and faithful high priest. Most of the time, you know what's hardest to go to church? If you haven't been, especially if you haven't been to church in a while, you know when it's hardest to go to church? When you're dying at work. 
You don't want to go to church in the morning on Sunday, right? When you're sick, you don't, want to, you don't feel like going to church. When you're depressed, when you're feeling guilty, when you're angry, or maybe there's a, just an underlying current of anger in your life, when you're bitter about something, that's the underlying current, right? There's an underlying current of bitterness. When you're living in fear or in confusion, there's an underlying confusion in your life. Those circumstances, those times, those seasons tempt you to be distant from God. You think you're just being distant from the church. You're actually being distant from God when you really should be going to God because no one understands more than God, you see. No one understands that. And you know why? It's because, um, think about what it means to go to God. What do you want most when you seek counsel from somebody, when you want a counselor? You want to go to somebody who cares, but you don't just want somebody who just cares and who's just supportive, and you want somebody who really understands. You need both. You need somebody who cares and understands because they're not mutually exclusive of you, right? Um, you need somebody who cares and understands because you don't want someone who just uh, who doesn't care, right? Um, and you equally don't want somebody who doesn't understand. You need both. That lack of empathy will leave you more isolated, even more lonely than when you first came to them. At the same time, you don't want somebody who's exactly where you are. You need somebody who's gone beyond you. You need someone who's gone ahead of you. That's why we go to counselors. You want somebody who cares. You want somebody who understands. And you want, they understand, and yet they've gone beyond you. They have a certain wisdom that you don't possess. That's why we go to counselors. That's why we need that. You take any one of those circumstances, any one of those qualities out of the picture, and that counselor is a little less adequate for you, right? Now, Jesus Christ was there. He knows what you're going through. No one understands more than him. He's compassionate. He's wept. He's been angry. And so he cares for you. But he's also gone beyond. He's gone from death and he's risen again. So he's gone into death. He entered into the world and experienced every suffering, every temptation, and even died. So he's gone even beyond death. Surely his wisdom you know, when you say, why am I suffering like this? Why am I suffering? You know, I can't, I don't understand. I can't find a, re- a good reason for why I'm suffering. Well, you see, that's, because, that's why you need a counselor. Because just because you can't think of a good reason doesn't mean a good reason exists. And you may never fully even understand, but there's truly somebody who has gone beyond, you see. Jesus Christ has gone beyond. And he now sits at the right hand of God. That makes him a wonderful counselor. That makes him a wonderful counselor. Christmas means that we can all go to him, that we all should go to him. There are people who say, you know, but I did go to God, and I've been praying, and he never answers my prayer. You know what? He understands that too. (laughs) Nobody understands that more than Jesus on the cross. Jesus Christ, my God, my God. He's praying. Why have you forgotten? Why have you forsaken me, he says. Even Jesus' prayers weren't answered. In Gethsemane, he's praying. Right before he dies, he prays. He says, if it's possible, let this cup, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath, let it pass from me, but not my will, yours be done, he says. And so Jesus Christ took the cup and he drank it all. He suffered in every way. He knows. He understands what it means to be broken. He's for you. Let that heal your hurts. But you gotta be honest with your hurts. You gotta be honest with Jesus with your hurts. You've got to be fully honest with him 
and go. Go to him. Lastly, we learn that he's concerned for those who are relationally broken. It's because he desires a relationship. The purpose of Christmas is that God came down. He came near. We, to have us really reconciled with him. Peace on earth. To have us near him. Why does he share in our humanity? It's to be a merciful and faithful high priest. That's what verse 17 says. What's a high priest? A high priest is someone who stands in between. A high priest is a mediator, someone who brings people. Uh, the sole job of a priest is to bring people closer to God. Why is that important? If you think about this, if God simply wanted us to obey, because a lot of us grew up thinking that that's what, that's what God requires, and that's, what God, that's, what, that's why he's here. We think that, that is, it's his requirements that we need to submit to. And so God simply just wants us to submit to him. If that were the case, he never would have needed to come down. He never would have had to come down. And think about this. He not only never needed to come down, he wouldn't have had to make himself vulnerable. If you believe, and that's what religion believes, the religious believe that we just need to obey God and we'll be accepted by him. But the thing is, if that's the case, then he never would have had to come down and he never would have had to be vulnerable and he never would have had to die if all he was is king. In the Old Testament, when God... uh, gave us his law. He came down too, right, to give us his law. But how did he do that? He came in darkness. He came in fire. He came in gloom. He came in storm. People were frightened. He said, don't even come near the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain or you will die because he wanted us to be shielded from his fiery holiness, the all-consuming holiness. He was so pure, so brilliant, so beautiful that that beauty would consume us because of our sinfulness. And so he says, don't come near. Don't come near. I want you near, and that's why he comes down, but don't come near. So he comes in darkness and fire and storm. Even Moses says, I am terrified. The purpose of Christmas is what? It's not so that the king would have subjects. He wanted us, and he wants us as friends. He came near. The word became flesh, it says. It says the word became flesh. He tabernacled with us. That is a remarkable statement. That means he came to reside with us openly. That makes all of us priests. Peter writes in the New Testament, you are a royal priesthood. That means you are heirs of the king and you are priests. We can all go to God. That's the purpose of Christmas, that we will be reconciled to him. When Moses, this is remarkable, when Moses said, I want the presence of God in my life, I want it fully, I want to see in full, Exodus 33, that's what he says, I want God with me. In other words, what he's saying is, I want Emmanuel. God says, I can't. I want to, but I can't. Because my presence is so brilliant, it's so brilliant, it's dangerous for you. It's like jumping into a fire, you will be complete, it's beautiful, it's thrilling, it's warm, but that warmth will destroy you, that beauty will destroy you, that it's violent for you, it's going to consume you, it's a fire, my holiness will totally destroy you, it will disintegrate you because it's so pure, it's so brilliant, then why does he become a baby? We have lots of babies here at Metro. One thing about uh, congregation members and parents, parents you have to understand this with a newborn, is that when you have a newborn, people just who attend the church automatically feel entitled to be able to come and dote on the baby. Even if they don't know you, they want to know your baby. You know why? Because you may not be that accessible. But a baby is very accessible. Babies are glorious because they are so accessible. They are beautiful. 
And everybody feels entitled to hold the baby. Everybody feels entitled to kiss a baby. Congregation member, that's why, friends, that's why parents don't bring their babies within the first two or three weeks because they know this ahead of time. They've learned over the years. They don't want their kid to get sick during this, this season. That's why they always take a little while before they bring their baby, right? Everyone feels entitled to hold them, kiss them. For God to become a baby, what does that mean? That's the holy brilliance of God. The holy brilliance, the unbearable beauty of God became accessible to you, became a baby for you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, why did he come? He came to die. He came to die and destroy the ultimate barrier between his royal presence, his fiery, all-consuming presence, and his sinful people. That's why he came, to become accessible. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, the holy temple curtain tore from top to bottom. It wasn't man. It wasn't like it was tore from bottom to top, as if you and I took one end and we ripped the veil open so that we can enter in. We couldn't do that. That veil, that's why the veil was a thick veil. It, was a thick, it wasn't just a curtain. It was a thick curtain. It was as if God took the curtain and tore it from top to bottom because now there's peace and there's access. In the Christian world, in the ancient Christian world, they were always asked, Christians were asked, where is your priest? If you are a faith, if you are a religion, where is your priest? There is no priest. You know why? Because you are priests. We're all priests. We can all get closer to God. The veil has been torn open. Christmas is about that. Christmas has given us God who became human, who could die, who would die, to get rid of the barrier between God and his people. That's Christmas. Jesus Christ bridged the gap so that we would be reconciled relationally with God. We become his treasure. That's Jesus. Christmas means that Jesus took flesh and blood. He shed his blood. He destroyed death. It means we should run to him. We should go to him. We should seek him. We should trust him. We should know him. We should love him. We should serve him. When you look to the, it doesn't take a lot of work to look. It doesn't take any work to look. Do you see Jesus on Christmas Day? Beyond all the, the craziness of Christmas, do you see the beauty of Christ? Look to the beauty of Christ. Look at his love. Look at the grace of Christ. Look at the wisdom of Jesus, even in the midst of suffering. Look at the courage of Jesus when you are weak and when you are failing and when you are scared. Look at the victory of Jesus. And yet, he came as a child. Look at the access. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat. That's the meaning of Christmas. Let's pray.